Good morning. Today we again follow the order of service on page 15. Our opening hymn today is Lord to Thee I Make Confession, hymn number 326. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. 
Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee, and justly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them, and sincerely repent of them. And I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death, of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in this stead, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For our psalm today, we read Psalm 54 responsibly with the congregation again reading those portions in bold type. Save me, O God, by thy name, and judge me by thy strength. For strangers are risen up against me, and oppressors seek after my soul. Behold, God is mine helper, the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O Lord, for it is good. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. We beseech thee, Almighty God, mercifully to look upon thy people, that by thy great goodness they may be governed and preserved evermore, both in body and soul. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, 
who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. You may be seated. For our catechism lesson today, we continue with the sixth petition. What then do we ask in this petition? That God would guard us so that temptation may not come upon us, or if he permitted to come, that he would strengthen and preserve us so that we may finally overcome and obtain the victory. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 we read, God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. And in Ephesians 6.13 we read, Take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so we pray in this petition that God would lead us in such a way that we not fall into temptation, that temptation not come, but when he does permit it to come and test us with it, that he would give us the strength as well as the wisdom to use his help and strength to overcome temptation and not yield to the temptations of the devil the world in our flesh. Our epistle lesson for today and also our sermon text for today is recorded in Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at the 11th verse. But Christ, having come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the sprinkling, if sprinkling the unclean with the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were covered under the First Testament, those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Here ends our reading of the epistle. Please rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. gospel appointed for today is recorded in St. John's Gospel in chapter 8, beginning at the 46th verse. Here Jesus is speaking. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said unto him, 
Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Here ends our reading of the Holy Gospel. Today we join in confessing our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed found on page 22 in the front of your hymnal. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended to heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spake by the prophets. And I believe one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. We continue our worship by singing hymn 370, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.
Again, I ask you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray your Holy Spirit's blessing upon the speaking and the hearing of your word this day, that we might be built up and strengthened in our faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that we might take comfort in the forgiveness and life which are ours through faith in his name. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I said before, the word of God, which we consider today, is that which is recorded in the book of Hebrews in chapter 9, beginning at verse 11, where we read, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats, and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, 
that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. If you notice in the last part of this reading, it talks about our Lord Jesus Christ being the mediator of the New Testament. The word testament or covenant is a word which sometimes gets neglected in preaching and teaching God's word, but it is all important in the scriptures. If you think back to the Old Testament, when God promised in the Garden of Eden in the words spoken to Satan that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, and then we see from Adam and Eve onward, people offering sacrifices to the Lord God, which foreshadow and point ahead to the perfect sacrifice of this seed of the woman who would undo the working of Satan, God had established a covenant with his people, a covenant to grant to them forgiveness for their sins through faith in his promise to send the seed of the woman. We see other covenants throughout the scriptures. For example, following the flood, God made a covenant with the people of this world never to again destroy the entire earth with a flood. And as a sign or token of that covenant, God placed the rainbow in the cloud that whenever he saw the rainbow in the cloud, he would remember his promise never to again to destroy all the people of this earth with a flood how the meaning of the rainbow has changed. This is the true meaning, the biblical meaning of the rainbow and what it is to speak to us today. God, of course, made a covenant with Abraham as well. God called Abraham to leave Ur the Chaldees and to come to the land of Canaan. And God promised them to Abraham that he would there make of him a great nation and that he would bless him, and that he would make him a blessing, him and his, through his seed, a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That, of course, is repeated numerous times in Genesis. I think of Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, God again made this promise to bless Abraham, and he also established this covenant. In Genesis 15, we perhaps know these words. Uh, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this shall not be your heir, speaking of Eliezer of Damascus, Abraham's servant. But he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward heaven and tell the stars, in other words, count the stars, if you be able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your seed be. And then we read that Abram believed in the Lord and he counted to him for righteousness. But the text of course goes on. God said to him, I am the Lord that brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said to him, take me a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. 
And he took to him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said to him, Abram, know of a surety that your seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And it continues on and speaks, but Abram sees... At verse 17, it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river of Euph river Euphrates. And then it lists all the nations who lived in this land. And so God established a covenant, but the covenant was established by the shedding of blood, Abram cut these animal pieces in half. And normally, if two people made a covenant, and they did it in this way, they would walk between these pieces together, indicating that if one or the other broke the covenant, they too could be cut asunder. But Abram didn't get to pass between the pieces. The Lord himself passed through the pieces and made this covenant promise to Abram. In Genesis chapter 17, we see that the Lord established a sign in which people could be recognized that they were a part of this covenant. All the males, eight days old, had to be circumcised. And this was the sign of the covenant, that they were God's covenant people, that they lived by faith in God's promises, which were a part of this covenant. Chapter 22, when Abram was to offer up Isaac, and then God stopped him, and he offered up a ram, which was provided as a substitute. God again repeated the covenant promises that he would make of Abraham's seed, that through Abraham's seed he would bless all the nations of the earth, that he would make of Abram a great nation and bless him. Of course, this old covenant was repeated at Mount Sinai with extra commandments and worship laws given, which pointed ahead to the new covenant, to the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 31, we read these words from the Lord. Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law on their inward parts and write it in their hearts and I will, and will be their God and they shall be my people." And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so God made a covenant. And of course, when we look in the Old Testament, we see that a part of this covenant always included sacrifice, the shedding of blood. 
When God established the worship laws and the tabernacle of the Old Testament, he commanded that blood be shed to purify these things. And even when God established his covenant with the people of Israel after he brought them out of the land of Egypt, sacrifices were offered and the blood was sprinkled both upon the covenant and upon the people because the covenant was established by the shedding of blood. There were also signs of this old covenant. We think back to the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. And again, this is a lot to cover in 15 or 20 minutes. But if you think back to the Passover in Exodus 12, they were commanded to set aside a lamb without blemish and without spot. And then on that certain day to sacrifice or to slaughter this lamb and take its blood and put it on the doorposts and lintels of their house and they, they were to partake of this sacrifice. They were to eat it, roasted with fire, and ready to leave. And anything left over was to be burned in the fire. And so they partook of this sacrifice by which God established his covenant with them and took them as his own people and spared their firstborn when he carried out judgment in Israel. And of course, we could go on and on through the Old Testament scriptures with all the references to a covenant, a bereath, to cut a covenant uh, in the Old Testament. And in fact, the Old Testament is called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant simply because it refers to the Old Covenant. And the New Testament or the New Covenant scriptures are reference to the New Covenant brought about by the Lord Jesus Christ. What's so important for us to see is that God kept his Old Testament promises to send one who would crush the head of the serpent, who would undo the work that the serpent did in the garden when he caused Adam and Eve, tempted Adam and Eve, and caused Eve to be deceived, and Adam and Eve fell into sin and brought sin into the world. And God promised again and again one who would be a blessing to all the nations of the earth and, of course, we see the fulfillment of this in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Galatians, St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, perhaps sums it up best in chapter 4 when he says, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Of course, there are many other passages. Think of John the Baptist when he pointed to Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was pointing to Jesus as that one who would be sacrificed as the Old Testament Passover lamb was sacrificed and would take away the sin of the world. In the book of Hebrews, of course, the book of Hebrews is filled with explanation of Old Testament worship and how it pointed ahead to Christ. But in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 2, beginning at verse 17, it says, Wherefore in all things it behooved, or it was necessary, for him to be made like to his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself was, has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. And so our Lord Jesus Christ was made like you and me, took on human flesh and blood, became true man, 
that he might fulfill and keep all God's commandments for us, and then that he might bear our punishment and suffer and die on the cross for our sins. We were, as it says in, as it says in Hebrews, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then, of course, in our text, we see the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ was offered up a perfect sacrifice. But Christ, becoming a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And so our Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood on the cross, and he entered not into the tabernacle or the temple of the Old Testament, but he entered into the very throne of God. And here, of course, we have another beautiful picture from the Old Testament, which is brought out by the writer to the Hebrews, because as it explains in Leviticus 16, there was a certain feast that the Jews observed every year called Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. And it was at one time a year that the priest would offer sacrifices and could enter into the holiest place where the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat. But he had to go there and he had to take of the blood and sprinkle it upon the altar and the mercy seat in order to cleanse it and make atonement for his sins and for the sins of the people. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross and shed his blood there, paying the price for the sins of the entire world, so for your sins, my sins, the sins of all people, and he went to the very throne of God with his shed blood. And there he pleads for us as our advocate. He's made atonement for our sins, that in him we might have forgiveness. I know I read these words to you so often from 1 John chapter 2, but it connects to all of this, where it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And perhaps I should have read verse 7 as well, where it says that we have fellowship one with another. You know, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then it explains further in chapter 2 that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation, which is the one who satisfies God's wrath or makes atonement for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so Jesus Christ, as our high priest, again, another whole section that we could talk about after the order of Melchizedek, uh, who was an Old Testament priest that we hear very little about. He comes into the picture in Genesis after Abraham goes and rescues Lot. And he is his name is Melchizedek, which comes from two Hebrew words, Melchi, which is king, and Zedek, which is righteousness. So he's king of righteousness, but he's actually king over Salem, which would be translated or which would be in the Hebrew, Shalom, or related to Shalom. 
uh, probably later Jerusalem, where the temple was located, where Christ died. But the scriptures point out that Melchizedek comes into the picture with no beginning and no end. He is not in the line of Aaron's priest because Abraham and not Aaron had not even been born yet. And Abram offers sacrifices, gives a tenth to Melchizedek. And so here, the Levitical priesthood, still in the loins of Abraham, honors Melchizedek, a greater priest, by giving him a tenth of all. The Bible says of Jesus that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's not from Aaron's line. He's from the tribe of Judah. And he offers once by one sacrifice himself and makes atonement for the sins of the entire world. In many ways, I think we can say that there's a comparison between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in regard to the signs or the sacraments associated with those covenants. Under the Old Covenant, in order to be a part of God's covenant people, all the male children, eight years and older, had to be circumcised. In fact, when Moses failed to circumcise his own sons and he was on his way to Egypt after God called him, God tried to kill him until his wife, Zipporah, circumcised his son. Very important that they be circumcised, that they be a part of God's covenant people, that they might receive the covenant promises. And if anyone refused to be circumcised, they could not be a part of God's people. The old covenant had a sacramental meal as well. Every year, the Passover was observed and the people partook of their sacrifice, pointing to the fact that it was through the mighty working of God that they were delivered from Egypt, and now they are God's own covenant people. Of course, this compares to the new covenant. Or in the new covenant, if you read in Colossians chapter 2, we see that baptism replaces circumcision as a sign and sacrament of the new covenant. Colossians chapter two, beginning at verse 11, it says, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation or of the working of God who has raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And so through, through our baptism, we are brought into this new covenant relationship with God in which we are now God's children, and we have all the blessings promised in that covenant, namely forgiveness for all our sins and a place in God's everlasting kingdom and eternal inheritance through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, in a little bit, we will partake of the Lord's Supper. And here too, we partake of the sacrifice 
uh, many similarities to the Israelites partaking of the sacrifices in the Old Covenant. Here Jesus gives us to partake of his body and blood, which was given and shed for us on the cross to atone for our sins in order that we might receive and be assured of forgiveness and life through our Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us upon the cross. And in fact, I don't know how many of you have paid close attention to this, but when you read the Lord's Supper accounts, I'll read to you from Matthew chapter 26, says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink you all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is literally my blood of the new covenant, the atheke in, in the Greek. This is my blood of the New Testament or the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. And so we partake of the blood, which established this new covenant in which we have forgiveness for all our sins and God's promises of everlasting life. And so our Lord Jesus Christ established this new covenant because no one could keep it under the old and the animal sacrifices that they offered, as we read in our text, could not truly wash away sin because they had to offer these sacrifices again and again and again. And the priest, every time uh, he went into the temple, into the holiest place on the Day of Atonement, had to offer again sacrifices. Our Lord Jesus Christ offered one sacrifice himself and paid for the sins of all the world for all time. And through his shed blood, all who are partakers of this New Testament, this new covenant, have forgiveness for all sins and everlasting life. We might ask, well, why? Why is this so important to us? And I think the answer is in Hebrews chapter 9 at verse 15. Here we read, For this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Why did our Lord Jesus Christ, why did our Lord Jesus Christ die on the cross and pay for our sins? It is that we might be brought into this new covenant in which we have forgiveness and we have a place in God's everlasting kingdom. Many other passages we could look at. We can think of John 3, 16. You know, God so loved the world. This is how God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or Mark 16, verse 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. He has died for our sins and has entered to the very throne of God, something which the Old Testament tabernacle pointed to. Jesus entered there to the very throne of God with his shed blood. And there he is our advocate. We are sinners and the devil would love to accuse us, but Jesus is there with his blood saying, I paid the price for that sin. 
and all who are baptized in Jesus' name, all who trust in him for forgiveness and life are a part of God's new covenant people and they have forgiveness for their sins and a place in God's everlasting kingdom and eternal inheritance. God grant to you such faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator of the New Testament, the new covenant, amen. I ask you to please stand. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. seated, we continue our worship by bringing forward our offerings. I invite you to please stand and join in the prayers of the church. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and your grace. We, and we beseech you so to implant your word in us that in good and honest hearts we may keep it and bring forth fruit by patient continuance in well-doing. 
Most heartily we beseech you so to rule and govern your church universal with all its pastors and ministers, that it may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, whereby faith towards you may be strengthened and charity increased in us toward all mankind. To this end, we pray your blessing on Bishop Heiser, on our pastors, and on all the pastors of our diocese. Bless St. Ignatius Lutheran Seminary, its instructors and students, that men might be trained for the work of the ministry, and when called, faithfully preach and teach your life-giving word. Grant also health and prosperity to all that are in authority, especially to the President and Congress of the United States, the Governor and Legislature of this state, and to all our judges and magistrates, and endue them with grace to rule after your good pleasure, to the maintenance of righteousness, and to the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. May it please you also to turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their enmity and be inclined to walk with us in meekness and in peace. All who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity, especially those who are in suffering for your name and for your truth's sake, comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, that they may receive and acknowledge their afflictions as the manifestation of your fatherly will. We pray for the people of Ukraine and the people of Russia, and for all suffering from the horrors of war and the oppression of ungodly rulers. We ask you to protect and keep all those who trust in you, to mercifully grant repentance and life to those who do not yet know you and believe your word, and to judge those who refuse to repent but persist in unbelief and wickedness. We ask that you establish peace in the world and prevent an escalation of war and bloodshed. And although we have deserved your righteous wrath and manifold punishments, yet we entreat you, O most merciful Father, remember not the sins of our youth nor our many transgressions, but out of your unspeakable goodness, grace, and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger of body and soul. Preserve us from false and pernicious doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest, from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. And in every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Cause all needful fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land and sea, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, and crown them with your blessing. We pray for your healing and blessing upon Janet as she recovers from surgery, and for all our fellow believers who are ill or suffering. These and whatever other things you would have us ask of you, O God, grant them to us for the sake of the bitter sufferings and death of Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son and our Lord and Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. You may be seated. We continue our worship by singing 
Hymn number 313, O Lord, we praise thee. 